This time on the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder leads the group in a study called By the Pool. For our conversations this time on Discover the Word, we're going to look at what I call a very puzzling passage. Okay. There's a lot of mystery in here. There are a lot of questions. And sometimes as I've studied this text, it doesn't seem like there are very many answers. Okay, Bill, is there just one of these passages in the Bible? This is the only one. And that's why we're, that's why we're going to do it. No, there are a bunch of them. Yeah. And part of what I'm hoping is that as we work through this text, that maybe our friends who are at the table with us might get some ideas on how to study difficult texts okay. that they come across in the scripture. So it's kind of a Bible study on Bible study, as well as looking at a particular text. Yeah, and so what is it that makes the passage in John chapter 5 that we'll be exploring together so puzzling? Well, pull your chair up to the table. We'll begin to find out next on Discover the Word. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, in which we walk with you through passages and ideas that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus, the living word in the pages of the Bible. And the group that's assembled around the table includes Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And it's good to have you in your spot there with them. Okay, so John chapter five, and the account of Jesus miraculously healing someone by the pool of Bethesda who hadn't been able to walk for decades. That's the event we'll be looking at. It is a fascinating, and as Bill said, puzzling in so many ways story from the life of Jesus that I'm pretty sure will capture your interest as we reflect on it and all the different nuances that will reveal a depth that will surprise you. And so let's get right into our conversation called By the Pool here on Discover the Word. Do you like mysteries, puzzles? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What kind do you like? I like word puzzles. Okay. Uh, I'm a wordle person. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I like untying knots, problem solving. Okay. Mm. That's but what, also like watching yeah. mysteries too, like okay. whodunits. Okay, mm-hmm. this week is for you, mm. Russell. Ooh. What about you guys? <laughs> I like everything but untying knots, but I was thinking I really like to untangle necklaces. So maybe that's the same thing. But mm-hmm. no, I, li- I like mysteries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I'm just thinking about untying fishing line. Oh. <laughs> when it gets yeah. into yeah, knots. I would just cut it off. And throw it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but a good mystery is always really fun, mm-hmm. especially if there's something unpredictable that happens that really is a good twist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to things like puzzles and mysteries, I mean, I love crossword puzzles Mm -hmm. and I also love jigsaw puzzles, Mm -hmm. but they're two very different things. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to come up with a very different type of solution in those things. For our conversations this time on Discover the Word, we're going to look at what I call a very puzzling passage. Okay. There's a lot of mystery in here. There are a lot of questions. And sometimes as I've studied this text, it doesn't seem like there are very many answers. Okay, Bill, is there just one of these passages in the Bible? This is the only one. And that's why we're, that's why we're going to do it. No, there are a bunch of them. Yeah. And part of what I'm hoping is that as we work through this text, that maybe our friends who are at the table with us might get some ideas on how to study difficult texts okay. that they come across in the scripture. So it's kind of a Bible study on Bible study, as well as looking at a particular text. We're looking at John chapter 5, 
since we're in John chapter 5, that means there's been a bunch of stuff happening in John 1 through 4. So just real quickly, who can net out for us what John chapters 1 through 4 lead us through? Well, John 1 is interesting because it's the only gospel that starts at the creation of the world. Yeah. And so it's like retelling the whole story of the Bible in this gospel. And so John's arranged it very uniquely. And so it talks about in the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, mm-hmm. the world was created because of him. And then we get kind of a picture of some of the first disciples that Jesus calls. Mm-hmm. There's the wedding feast at Cana where Jesus does this first miracle that it looks like he wasn't supposed to do, but his mom talked him into it, <laughs> um, where he kind of keeps the party going yeah. and in a way to show honor to the people throwing the wedding yeah. and he protects them in an honor-shame culture. Then there's the cleansing of the temple, which is another confusing passage, although there seems to be Jesus fighting for justice here in a very real way. And then Nicodemus shows up and starts asking some big questions. (laughs) So a lot's happened in four chapters. Yeah, And then chapter four, you have... The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the two longest interviews Mm -hmm. Jesus has with any people in all the Gospels are John 3 and 4, and they're back-to-back. Yeah, And so it's really, then at the end of chapter 4, you have Jesus' second miracle. Mm, where he heals an official son. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. there's been a lot going on up to this point. Yeah, also, I know some refer to the first four chapters as the Cana cycle, Mm -hmm. Um, and then Mm -hmm. coming into chapters 5 and 10 is the Mm -hmm. festival cycle, Mm -hmm. where Jesus creates some challenges with the observances of Sabbath, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, that type of thing, in terms of how does his identity in ways fulfill, but then also ways for some of the folks challenge their understanding of these. That's really good, Russell. When Daryl Bach was here, he said that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus from the ground up. Mm. John tells the story from heaven down. Mm. And that's the difference in the way it begins that you were speaking about earlier, Daniel. So we're going to look at John chapter 5, and we've got all kinds of interesting little puzzles in here that we're going to try to wrestle with, and I don't know how we'll do with it. But just to get us started, Elisa, would you read John 5 verses 1 through 6? Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Okay, so we bump into our first problem, and our first problem is, where's verse 4? I mean, as you were reading, it, <laughs> it went from verse 3 to verse 5. Yeah. So where's verse 4? And I want us to kind of wrestle with this a little bit because there are places in the Scripture where there are things that scholars call textual variants between the manuscripts, hmm. that something might not be in the oldest manuscripts, which is what the NIV that you were reading, Elisa, is taken from. But it is in the majority text, which the King James and the New King James are taken from. So in the King James and the New King James, you have an actual verse 4 between verses 3 and 5, but it's omitted in uh, the NIV because it wasn't in those older texts. Daniel, if you would pick up in verse 3, 
and read through verse five. Yeah, and what's interesting is mine in the footnotes, I have verse four. Okay. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so, I do too. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. That's the missing part from the NIV. Pretty big part. Yeah, and especially when you get to verse 7. Rasul, would you read verse 7 for us? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Verse 7 doesn't make any sense unless you have verse 4. Right. Right. And that's part of the argument in favor of verse Mm 4 being part of the actual text because the two seem to be singing Mm -hmm. off the same page in the hymnal. However, the older manuscripts don't have it. Mm -hmm. And none of us here are, to my knowledge, deeply involved in textual criticism or manuscript <laughs> evidence. Mm-hmm. Or archaeology. Or, yeah. yeah, that's a whole level <laughs> yeah. of scholarship that's outside my mind. But the big question that I want us to ask is, does the presence or absence of verse 4 say anything to us about the credibility of the Scriptures? Hmm. I mean, does it affect how we view the Scriptures and their validity? What I immediately think of is one of the things we've talked about a few times, thanks to Randy Richards, Mm -hmm. and that's what went without being said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in this passage, we have an idea of maybe what was said in between, but there's a lot of passages where we'll see something like, and the water was stirred, and we fill in what we think it should Mm -hmm. be. And so in some ways, it's kind of helpful in this one Mm because we have a little more context, but I think this is a perfect reminder of the fact that when we're reading these words, it's from a different place at a different time with different cultural assumptions and things like that. So as far as the validity, I feel like in some ways it it makes it more valid. The fact that there's something we wouldn't know that would feel different for us culturally. Hmm. And the fact that we have both accounts Mm -hmm. and we're offered both examples to me, that gives a lot of credibility, mm-hmm. too, because they're not trying to hide anything. It's like, well, hey, some of them have this and some don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, and I think that is where it's an important, you know, key to remember that what we have are from manuscript copies of the original. And so when I remember that, I know that the differences between them, which are widely known and accepted by, you know, these scholars that mm-hmm. do this for a living, are not grounds to reject the you know authority. And in fact, you know, as opposed to a lot of the kind of conspiracy theory kind of mm. approaches, the, like you said, the fact that it's right there and it's like, hey, some of these manuscripts say this, mm-hmm. others don't give me more confidence because they're at least putting it right there in front. But I also wonder, to your point about things that need to be unsaid, it could make sense that four was added afterwards because at some point someone realized that what would have been an unspoken in verse seven in that local context, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as the word was getting out across the the first century world might need a little nudging (laughs) and some clarity. And so they maybe added that later. But the fact that we even know that that's happening gives me confidence in what we have. I think it reminds me of how we respond or how we seek out advice for parenting or medicine. You know, we, we have a 
a need with our child or we have an ailment or a symptom and we go online and we look for information, you know, and we live in an age where information is so readily available. Well, you know, when scripture was first printed, you just got a Bible and you're lucky to get one. And mm-hmm. there it is. You know, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And there's no explanation. and There's probably no footnotes and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate what you both are saying about the authenticity, you know, of just saying this is what it is. Yeah. Um, but I think we live in a complicated day and this could trip some people up. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you talk about authenticity, credibility of the scriptures, there are a lot of things that we see in the scriptures. We've talked about it before in conversations. The fact that Mary Magdalene, a woman, is the first to bear witness to the risen Jesus. I mean, that's huge because in that culture, women were not considered reliable witnesses in a courtroom setting. And so to have a woman, some people say, well, that diminishes. No, in some ways it's, no, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. We're just telling you what happened. Mm -hmm. And you have other textual variants like John chapter 8 where the woman caught in adultery. That whole encounter uh, is a textual variant that some say. Right. I think most scholars would say it's a legitimate event. We believe it really happened. We aren't just sure whether it belongs in John 8 or not. You know, So I don't know how to wrestle with those things. But to me, I think there's a level of transparency here mm-hmm. that is very healthy. And to me, it does nothing to threaten the viability of the text or anything like that. It gives me a real sense of confidence that the God who has inspired this book for us knows what is there and knows what isn't there and why. And let's not miss the forest. The point of the story is going to be what Jesus does. That's right. Mm. And so it's really easy sometimes <laughs> for us to get caught up in like a little mm-hmm. detail in a story. What happens? And I'm sure as we go this week, we'll yeah. be exploring what happens. Because that's there'll really be questions the questions about that, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goody. <laughs> We're going to have more questions. This, it's nice to kind of get this one out of the way in our first conversation, because I just think that it's something that some people would stub their toe on. Some of our listeners maybe use a New King James or a mm-hmm. King James. And as you were reading, Elisa, they came to verse 4 and say, wait a minute, why is she not reading that? And I think it's mm-hmm. important for us to be honest and upfront and say, there are some of these things that, in a scholarly sense, I don't have answers to, but I have confidence in my God Mm -hmm. and what he has given us. And as you said, Daniel, the big idea of this story is not whether or not verse four should be there. The big idea of the story is what happens with this man. And we'll start talking about him in our next conversation. Where were you and what were you doing 38 years ago (laughs) at this time? I need a calculator. (laughs) 38 years ago, I was waiting for my parents to get married. (laughs) You were a twinkle in your father's (laughs) eye. (laughs) I think my mom was the twinkle in my dad's eye at that Uh, point. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, I got to do the math. I know, I had to do it. I was the young mom. I had uh, two very, very young children. I was in elementary school, a little tyke. (laughs) <laughs> um, third grade and living your best life. life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to think about that kind of thing sometimes just to be reminded when you hear a number hmm. like 38 years mm-hmm. in the Bible, we read over that. And we don't stop and think about how long that really was. 38 years, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time ago. 1984. The Los Angeles Olympics, Mary Lou Retton, Mm. America's sweetheart from Fairmont, West Virginia, and the gymnastics, all that stuff. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of things going on in 1984 Mm -hmm. that just remind us 38 years is a long time. Especially because then the world was without me. 
Yeah. <laughs> we were all just uh, waiting for you to show up, <laughs> Daniel. That's all. Now think about 55 years. Ugh. 55 years ago. Now you've lost two of us at the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're dropping like flies. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I do the 55 is because it was in 1967 that a teenage girl by the name of Johnny Erickson was in a diving accident, broke her neck. She had a long battle with anger and depression, thoughts of suicide, doubts about faith. She's been paralyzed now for 55 years, and she's an artist, a writer, a Bible teacher. She's founded a tremendous ministry called Johnny and Friends for the disabled. This powerful, profound Mm -hmm. ministry started with a diving accident mm-hmm. where she became paralyzed. Again, 55 years in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yet look at what the Lord's done with that. Yeah, you know, almost immediately I can think of her smile mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know just from hearing more of her story and stuff like that, that she has bad days sure. and yeah. all that. But there's a perspective on the world that she has that has always been very inspiring mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. So there's a reason why we're talking about 38 years in particular. Plus the Johnny story, I think, may have some parallels to what we're going to see today. Rasul, we're going back to John chapter 5. If you would read verses 1 through 5, and you don't need to worry about verse 4, whether it's there or not. <laughs> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 Hmm. years. We've talked about how long a time that's been for us. Imagine how long a time that had been for him. I mean, we don't know how old he was when he became an invalid. I mean, if he was 12, he's now 50. If he was 22, he's now 60. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. but whatever. It's a long, long time. Think about it in these terms. In first century in the Middle East, the average lifespan was only 35 years. Right. He could have been born this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're just not given any details. We're also not given any details about the nature of his situation. Mm -hmm. We get the impression that it may involve some kind of paralysis because when the water is stirred and he tries to get in, he doesn't have anybody to help him get in. He, he doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be very mobile on his own. There are a couple of questions that come out of this. One, why him? I mean, there it says that there are all kinds of sick people surrounding this pool, which, by the way, Beth in Hebrew means house. So Bethlehem is house of bread Bethesda means house of mercy, mm-hmm. which I think is a fabulous that's, word. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, there are all these other people there. Why did Jesus choose to heal him? Mm-hmm. Now, before we get too far afield, it's important to say that the proper answer to that question is the text doesn't tell us, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But you think about all the other people around the pool. I mean, there's nothing in the story that tells us that this man had exhibited any particular faith 
or that he had even acknowledged Jesus's presence. Jesus is the one who initiates the encounter with the guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you ever think about when you're reading a text like this? I think about stuff like this and it gets me derailed all the time. I think about what if I was one of the other sick people and say, hey, over here. (laughs) Do you think about stuff like that? Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. In this particular situation, I mean, we also don't know if Jesus healed other people either. Because the text doesn't tell us either way. But there's something, I think, as far as John collecting stories about who Jesus is and trying to tell the story of Jesus. There's a few things, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seems like this person, this guy, has a lack of hope. Feels like in some ways maybe he started to give up. He's kind of resigned. It's never going to happen. Well, and I mean, thirty-eight years. You, you, yeah, to be makes total sense. Yeah. yeah, and so part of me wonders if part of what of Jesus's actions in this house of mercy is finding those who are aware that they don't have any hope hmm. without help. Hmm. And so maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think the question: Do you want to be made well? The way he responds is not yes or no. It's like, well, no, I I don't think this is going to happen for me because I don't have anybody to help me into the water. So there's almost like a little despair there or something. Yeah, Yeah, we'll talk more about that question. That's a really interesting question. We'll get that into another conversation, but that's good, Daniel. I mean, in John chapter 2, before John chapter 3 opens up with Nicodemus, John writes, nobody needed to tell Jesus what was in the heart of men because he knew what was in their hearts. Yeah. And so it could be, as you're saying, mm-hmm. Daniel, that he saw this guy, he saw that the guy had zero hope in his heart. And mm-hmm. so he went to him to give him that hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think about the levels of desperation that you see here and that somehow already it's a place where people are clinging on to, you know, just this very thin hope that maybe just maybe if I can get in this water at the right time, it'll heal me. It's also pretty close to the temple, which many of them might think, Mm -hmm. man, if I can just get restored, Mm -hmm. then I can rejoin community. I can rejoin Mm -hmm. this process. I won't be unclean anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet he's sitting there with nobody to help him, which also means that it's not just like he goes home and comes back. You know, like maybe he's just sitting there all the time mm-hmm. and just seeing other people with other types if they have leprosy or if they have something else go in mm-hmm. and he just can't. And and there really is this sense of just utter desperation. Mm. There seems to be some thinking that the whole thing about an angel coming and stirring the water was something of a local superstition. And that's what attracted all of these ill people to the pool at Bethesda Mm -hmm. was because they didn't have hope anywhere else. They might as well try this. Like you say, levels of desperation, right? This is the only other option. Mm. We'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. What what can we lose at this point? Mm -hmm. It's a very sad picture in that sense of, of hopelessness and despair. But But in another sense, it's also a very vivid picture of us in our helplessness Mm. apart from Christ. I mean, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm one who actually believes he meant everything he said. I think he meant that, too, that without him, we're helpless. Trying to sit with the despair that this guy must be feeling is uncomfortable for us, mm-hmm. or at least I think at some level it should be uncomfortable for us. But at the same time, sitting with the despair of the other people around that pool that, at least from what John records, didn't get healed that day, I think it's a reminder to us of just how desperate the people around us are 
mm-hmm. that we see every day out in the world, walking through an airport, sitting in a restaurant, driving on the highway. We have no idea what's going on in all those other cars on that highway, but there are, I'm sure, people who are just as empty of hope as this guy seems to be. And like you say, Daniel, maybe, we don't know, but maybe that's why Jesus singled him out, because he had the deepest, most personal need, and it was the need for hope. Yeah, a good part of our conversation there on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. And that's an important question to wrestle with, especially as we think about applying to our lives what this story is saying. Because this is a story about a physical healing, but is it primarily a story about healing? Others there by the pool didn't experience physical healing. Johnny Erickson Tata hasn't experienced physical healing. And so is this meant to be a story about healing? A great question that we'll need more time to work through, and we will. And when we continue, we'll look at a question that Jesus asked that seems like a silly question to ask a man who's not been able to walk for 38 years. The answer has to be obvious. Or is it? We'll pick this up in a moment. But right now, let's take time for a quick break, and uh, then we'll get right back into the study of John chapter 5. Now, Discover the Word is part of Our Daily Bread Ministries, a global ministry that's been telling the story of Jesus for 85 years via radio and now podcasts, video and books, a wide variety of printed Bible engagement resources, music, and so much more. And one of the resources that we're best known for, of course, is the Our Daily Bread devotional. Millions around the world use it each day for their moments of quiet reflection on the scriptures and their relationship with God. And let me read a note for you that was sent to us from one of our readers about the impact Our Daily Bread is making on her life. This is from Kay, and here's what she said. Dear Our Daily Bread Ministries, I would like you to know that until a few years ago, my brother did not give God and Jesus much thought. Somewhere along the way, in his later years, he was gifted a copy of your Our Daily Bread. Shortly after he discovered Our Daily Bread, he shared it with me, and it has become an important part of my morning each and every day. I want to thank you for the inspiration and comfort and love of God and Jesus that you put in our hearts. My brother was very ill toward the end of his life, and I know he was comforted by knowing that God and Jesus would be welcoming when he passed all inspired by your little book. Thank you for all your hard work and devotion to your readers. And again, that was from Kay. And if you'd like to start using the Our Daily Bread devotional, just go to odb.org, you can read it there, or click the subscribe dropdown to see your other delivery options like print, email, or mobile app. But a good place to start is at odb.org. And now, back to what's going on by the pool in John chapter 5. Let me read you a couple of quotes, then we'll talk about them. This is by Claude Levi-Strauss, not the Levi-Strauss of Levi's. Anyway, he said, The scientist is not a person who gives the right answers. He is the one who asks the right questions. Madeline Lengel, I wish that we worried more about asking the right questions instead of being so hung up on finding the right answers. Mm -hmm. And then Bono, of course, from U2, we thought we had the answers. It was the questions we had Mm. wrong. 
hmm. react to those? Pretty counterintuitive. You know, we do constantly look for answers, but it is mm-hmm. the questions that matter. I think about how that is so true in life, especially even in looking at the Gospels. Jesus asked like over 300 questions. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes this questions cut to the quick of what mm-hmm. the really issue is, mm-hmm. which is different than the questions that are being asked of him. And mm-hmm. so I think asking the right questions is really an important but also challenging skill set. Yeah. And helping people deal with what's really going on in their lives, whether you're a mentor or a (laughs) counselor or a therapist, is rarely (laughs) about having the answer, but it's about having the right question to ask that causes that person to think about something they've never thought through before or haven't noticed in themselves or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we often approach those when people are asking for discernment or wisdom or whatever, we often approach those as I have to figure this out for this person. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes the best leadership is just asking the right questions and watching them work through those questions Mm -hmm. and how often it is that they discover what they should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've said this before, and I always try to bracket this by saying, I mean this as reverently as I can, but sometimes I feel like it must have been very frustrating having a conversation with Jesus, because if you asked him a question, he would respond with two questions mm-hmm. back to you. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, wait a minute, we're not getting any traction here. But Jesus uses questions to dig into people's hearts, and we're going to see that as he asks the absolute right question in John chapter 5. Daniel, would you read for us John 5 verses 1 through 6, please? After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, that question just on the face of it, almost sounds rhetorical, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you would expect, well, of course he wants to get well. Why wouldn't he want to get well? But there could be some reasons why maybe somebody who'd been an invalid for 38 years wouldn't want to get Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. What would be some of those? Well, it's maybe emotional. Could be difficult to be well and go about a normal life. And there could be some emotional, you know, reasons that that's scary or not familiar. Yeah. You don't want to change. How many of us don't like mm-hmm. change? I think about those who've been incarcerated mm. for mm-hmm. decades. You start to question, yeah. what is my life outside mm-hmm. of this horrible situation that I want to be free, but can I really survive out yeah. here anymore? And so I think in the same way for when anybody's been in a certain predicament for that long, 38 years, it can make you start to question because now I have no excuse for my life, you know, Mm -hmm. at this point, like, can I really make it? Can I hack it on my own like that? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is Jesus leaning into just deep hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Have you given up hope or is there still something in you that actually wants something to be different? Mm -hmm. Kind of on the same vein that Rasul was leaning on culturally at this time, this probably would have made him a beggar. And so people would have supported him by giving him money to be able to buy food or giving him food. 
And all of a sudden, after 38 years, if he is healed, he has to go provide for himself now or get a job. Yeah. And so what would he even do at mm-hmm. that point? Mm-hmm. So all maybe he, he doesn't know anything mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do. And so there's so many layers to why I think Jesus mm-hmm. could be Can I add just one more? Sure. Because like, yeah. I think the other thing on a deeper identity level yeah. is that sometimes we can find uh-huh. a sense of ourself in the way that we feel like the world has harmed us or the way in which we feel like we've gotten the short end of the stick. And so it is actually a risky exchange to let go of Mm -hmm. that way of seeing myself as a victim. And that's who I am. Yeah, it becomes your identity. Right. And exchange and let that go. And now all of a sudden to be something else. It's a different kind of paralysis. You know, it's really an emotional identity paralysis. Yeah. And all the things you guys are saying make perfect sense. Let me throw a couple others that really are echoes of what you were talking about. I mean, at this point, he has no profession. He has no life skills as far as any kind of craft or trade or anything. As you said, what's he going to do to support himself? Or some say this condition had become his identity. He doesn't know who he is apart from being the guy on the mat by the pool who can't get in when the water's stirred. The bitterness of so many years without help or hope can condition our hearts to where we actually, in a perverse kind of way, like the way we are because Mm -hmm. that's what we become accustomed to and that's who we see ourselves as. And again, as you said, Elisa, healing would be a major life change, Mm -hmm. a major Mm -hmm. life change for him. Not everybody processes change really well. On the surface, the question, do you want to be made well, sounds very odd. But that's one reason why when we get into some of these stories in the scriptures, it's good that we just don't read them superficially, that we try to sit with it and sit with the people involved and ask ourselves some of these questions that we're Mm -hmm. wrestling with. We don't have good answers for them. We don't know why this guy might have struggled or why Jesus probed in this particular area of his heart. But we know that Jesus was the ultimate genius of all time when it came to asking good questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is his question for this guy. What really jumps out to me too is just the first three words of the question, do you want? <laughs> and it reminds me of when Jesus is talking to another person who desires healing and he looks at him and goes, what do you want me to do for you? Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's this question that Jesus asks that goes to like what our deepest desires are. And even for us, can you imagine Jesus looking Uh at us and saying, Elisa, what is your deepest desire? Or Rasul, what is your deepest? What do you want? Mm -hmm. Bill, what do you want? That's a scary question, especially if when we look at that, it's like either we struggle to have an answer Mm -hmm. or the answer that we come up with is so tied to what we desire out of life that we're afraid to even put words to it because what if it doesn't happen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have this guy, he's been in this condition for 38 years. He's laying by the pool. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? How does he respond? He kind of blames the situation, which is really more ammunition for the view that maybe he doesn't want to change. You know, it's like, well, nobody helps me get into the pool. Yeah. And maybe that's a fact, but you can hear in there, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. It's up to everybody else kind of a thing. To an answer to a pretty specific yes or no question, uh-huh. you know, one that seems to be really core to what his whole life circumstances are, is strangely answered in a way that really laments his uh-huh. circumstances. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think it reveals out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah, and again, good. I'm not, I don't want to beat this guy up too hard. Yeah. I mean, that is a very almost unthinkable, unfathomable situation to be in. I mean, they didn't have social services back then. Right. They didn't have, you didn't have anybody take him to the bathroom. You know what I mean? He was literally just out there, you know, by himself. And so there's this aspect of him needing to even process the traumatic situation mm -hmm. that had been his life for that long. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely sees the circumstances around him. Part of me wonders if he's actually asking Jesus if he'll be that person. To put him in the water. To put mm -hmm. him in the water. But either way, the obstacle of why he can't be healed is definitely present in this response, regardless of what else is going on. Yeah, he feels totally helpless. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus' response to him, arise, take up your pallet and walk. Now, one of the things we know about Jesus is he was not bound by method. <laughs> I mean, he healed people so many different ways. I mean, he healed one guy by spitting in his eyes. He healed another guy by making mud and rubbing it in his eyes. He would heal some people like with a gentle touch. Mm -hmm. Here, it's very different. He heals with a command. Mm -hmm. He's commanding the guy to do something that the guy for 38 years has not had the capacity to do. So with the command comes the empowerment mm -hmm. and enabling to accomplish mm -hmm. the command. Mm -hmm. And it says very simply, immediately the man became well mm -hmm. and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now, What's missing in there is it doesn't say immediately the man believed in Jesus and therefore mm -hmm. he was there. Again, there's still no statement about this guy's belief or faith or trust in or anything. In fact, later they'll say he didn't even know who Jesus was because yeah. Jesus disappeared into the crowd. So this guy picks up his mat and starts walking home wherever that was. Mm -hmm. Again, there are a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. But Jesus' question to that man, I think, really exposed the deep wound that living this mm -hmm. life of illness for so many years has created within his heart. And Jesus responds to it with a command. And it's not like, buck up, get over yourself. It's no, no, okay, that part of your life's over. It's time to start a new part of your life. Pick up your bed, walk home, let's go. When you were a kid, were you a rule keeper or a rule breaker? I was a rule keeper. I was just really obedient. Well, not to my mom, but I mean, <laughs> I, I would figure out the rules and I would do them the best. That's what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. I wanted to win at the rules. Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to invite my mom to sit here and answer this question for me. Yeah. Yeah. My mom <laughs> but, would say no. But. <laughs> um, but I, looking back, feel like I was very much a firstborn rule keeper. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was my tendency, too. I remember being confused by my older brother who would constantly mm -hmm. be in trouble. And it just felt like, <laughs> why, why do, do with all this? <laughs> yes. This feels like unnecessary drama in your life. So <laughs> I decided to go a different path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whether you were a rule keeper or a rule breaker may depend on whether you were a people pleaser mm -hmm. or a maverick. Mm. Whether you were a conformist or a nonconformist, <laughs> sometimes it depended on the rule. I mean, you know, true. Brian and I like to play golf together, and I love playing golf, but golf has some of the stupidest rules. <laughs> I mean, it really does. And there's some of them that people who play at my level, which is a very low level, we don't follow all those. So you're goofy a picker rules. and a chooser of your rulers. <laughs> well, I, I kind of look at a rule and say, is this rule fair? Is you're this rule. You're above the rules. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. When I play golf, I am. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the 
rest of life, not so much. That explains a lot. And I think to an extent, though, even all of us are. Yes. Hush now. Hush now. Because, you know, none of us are sitting here like we followed all the rules, even though that was our tendency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's still a sense in which at some point we go, eh. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do it my way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're in this really intriguing passage in John chapter 5. And we've seen Jesus come to this pool at Bethesda which means house of mercy, and it's surrounded by all of these ill people who are hoping at some level that they'll be able to get into the water when it's stirred so that they can be healed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes to this one dude who's been an invalid for 38 years and says, what do you want? You want to be made well? And the guy kind of fires back at him. There's nobody around to help me. And you set off Michael, Lee, so that you mm. kind of feel like the guy's kind of whiny. He just feels like he's throwing blame. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to see him do that again okay. in the text we're going to look at today. Because Jesus tells him, get up. The thing that he hasn't been able to do for 38 years. Jesus says, get up. And he gets up. And he picks up his mat and he walks home. It's interesting that he doesn't say, I've tried, you know. Yeah. It's mm. interesting that he doesn't push back no. on Jesus. But I want us to pick up the story just so we kind of get it in a little bit of the flow of the story, starting with verse 7, which is his response to Jesus's question, do you want to be made well? Rasul, would you read verses 7 through 11 for us? Sure. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, so where do we see the rule? The Sabbath. It is mm. the law mm-hmm. forbids you to carry yeah. your mat. Where do we see the blame the shifting? Mm. Well, the man, uh, the man broke the rule when yeah. Jesus told him to. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, it's that guy's fault. He yeah. told me to. Yeah, I'm just doing what I was told. Mm-hmm. There's no statement from John at all about any expression of faith in this guy's no. heart at all. It's just Jesus says, get up. And he was healed. Mm-hmm. And I find that really unusual. You think about blind Bartimaeus on the Jericho Road, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, that I might receive my sight. Now, the fact that he's coming to Jesus and saying, son of David, have mercy on me, means he has some level of confidence that Jesus can do this, right? Well, back to what you helped us understand in an earlier conversation, Jesus is going to the guy Yeah. The guy Mm -hmm. doesn't even know who Jesus is. He isn't approaching Jesus. So maybe the whole purpose is, as you were saying, maybe it's not really so much about healing. It's something Jesus wants to make clear. And we often see things like this or stories like this and try to make it into some kind of formula. Mm -hmm. And stories like this just remind us that God's going to do what God wants to do when Mm -hmm. God wants to do it in God's way. Mm -hmm. And he's allowed to do that because after all, He is God. (laughs) Right. right? He gets to set the rules. Yeah. So think about this. We're going to use some biblical imagination here. Say you're one of these religious leaders. You've walked by this pool maybe every day. You mentioned in an earlier conversation, Russell, that it was near the temple. Mm -hmm. So on the way to temple, you walk past, you've seen this guy laying there for years and years and years and years and years, immobile. Now you see him walking around. And your first comment is, 
you're breaking the rules, <laughs> right? I mean, the only pushback I would put on that is if there's one thing that I've learned from people affected by disabilities, it's how unseen they are. Yeah. So it's also possible that these religious leaders have walked by every day and never noticed That's this true man. Too. And That's true. So That's I think, e but either way, the point is, like, instead of taking time to learn this guy's story or figure out what's going on, the very immediate response is accusatory. Right, because, I mean, it's not like he had on new clothes right? Right. or was well-groomed. I mean, there's definitely a sense in which just by looking at him, maybe even smelling him, you know, they could tell mm -hmm. that this is somebody that, you know, you could say was down on their luck, yeah. you know, recently and even in that moment. Yeah. yeah. As you think about that and you think about the players, I mean, we just expanded this drama and brought in a whole new set of players. And one of the questions that Brian said he wrestled with was, why did John include this in the gospel? Yeah. The correct answer is, the text doesn't tell us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Jesus not only chose this guy, but he chose him on a Sabbath day mm -hmm. and commanded him to break the rules mm -hmm. and then empowered him to do it may give us a hint as to what possibly is the point of the story. And that is the fact that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We're seeing, you know, this is early in the ministry and John is lacing various religious leaders mm -hmm. into the story does it all the way to the end mm -hmm. but you know we've just had nicodemus coming under the cover of night to have these conversations and jesus message to him is much more about i've come to fulfill the law and god so loved the world and etc and now it's into the specifics of the things they think are the most important yeah. things. And Jesus mm -hmm. is coming against that. It's going to continue. And think about, as you talk about inserting the religious leaders, think about the cleansing of the temple in John mm -hmm. 2. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the major corrective acts yeah. of Jesus. His cleansing of the temple in John 2 almost parallels his statements in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel, where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Mm -hmm. Those are corrective statements, and the cleansing of the temple was a corrective action. Mm -hmm. And so this, in another sense, could be seen as a corrective mm -hmm. action to correct their sense of priority. Mm -hmm. And there's the fact that so much of John's gospel talks about Jesus and what he says about his father and his father equipping him to do work and his father and him are one and he doesn't do anything without his father guiding him to what he should do. And that's where this story ends up. But Jesus answered them, my father is still working and I also am working. And as a result of that, the Jews decide they want to kill him all the more at the end of the story. And so there's this sense in which you have Jesus not just pushing back on what the Sabbath is, but him operating at a different level entirely. And as a result of that, it's making a whole bunch of people uncomfortable. Yeah. And at the same time, him operating on his higher level is actually a return to the initial intent behind yeah. the law in the yeah. first place. He's not mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. doing something random here. It's interesting that you see the picture of no one is there to pick me up, which would have been a, also an act of work. But in Deuteronomy chapter yeah. four, hmm. we read, you shall not see your brother's donkey or ox falling down by the way and ignore them. You shall lift them up again, even on the Sabbath. Yeah. Right. Like that yeah. was like a provision that was made in the idea of that someone needed to be whole or healed. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like there is an intentional way in which even Jesus is correcting yes. their broken understanding of focusing on ceremony above compassion 
and then seeing him as the embodiment of it all. That's good. Yeah. When you think about this poor guy, it's almost like he can't win. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's laying here all these years. Finally, for the first time in years, something good happens to him and he starts getting smacked around for it. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's almost like it's going from the frying pan to the fire. We know from other statements in John's gospel, particularly how dangerous it was to be excommunicated from synagogue because that was the mm-hmm. center of Jewish life. Whether this guy has ever had any engagement with synagogue is uncertain. What is certain is that it's a Sabbath day and he's carrying his mat and that's against the law. It seems like Jesus intentionally did a vast majority of his miracles on Sabbath days simply to get a reaction out of the religious leaders because they're always there. And when they say something to him about it, as you said, Daniel, he says, my father and I are working and we're continuing to work. And so to try to somehow make a dent in their religious armor, there seems to be some real intentional motive on Jesus's part in particularly doing not just other miracles, but this also miracle Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath day because the rule is not the issue. The issue is the issue of the heart. And that's what Jesus has been driving at ever since this story began. Maybe the key line to understanding the point of this story, why John included it as he told the story about Jesus in his gospel, is that line, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And that's why Bill has continually said this is a puzzling story that is and isn't about healing. You're listening to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, and you're at the table with Bill Crowder, Lisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And in the next segment, as they wrap this up, Bill will say, I've confessed that I struggle with this text just because I like to solve puzzles, and this has a lot of puzzles in it that I don't have the capacity to solve. So it leaves me a tiny little bit frustrated, but I think the point of the story may be Yeah, but uh, you're going to have to listen to find out how he finishes that sentence in the conclusion of By the Pool after this preview of what the group will be studying together in our next podcast. Next time on our podcast, we're going to be following up on something we discovered was a big part of this story surrounding Jesus healing this man by the pool. And actually, it was a major factor in the religious leaders looking for ways to discredit and get rid of Jesus. The issue was the Sabbath. And so in our next podcast, we're going to explore the question, does Sabbath still matter? This week, we're going to consider the idea of Sabbath and talk through just some different passages of Scripture where we see the idea of Sabbath show up. And we're going to ask the question, does it even apply to us anymore as New Testament, New Covenant people? Or was the Sabbath part of just the Old Testament? You know, I think that's going to be an interesting question because really when you look at the New Testament, it speaks pretty negatively about Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the yeah. religious leaders, they were after Jesus all the time for oh, yeah. not keeping the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, and we're going to talk about this, you could say that's why he ended up being killed yeah. is because of the way that he acted on the Sabbath in ways that they did not agree with. Yeah, it was a tough question then, and in a lot of ways, it's a tough question today. Does Sabbath still matter? Don't miss our next Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of this study of the story in John 5, 
by the pool. Have you ever shared a particular problem that you were wrestling with with someone and had them respond, you've got unconfessed sin in your life. If you'll confess that sin, these problems will go away. Rebecca's had a lot of health issues for a while, and sometimes it's not as direct. As that. But there's like Mm -hmm. a hint of it in there of like, oh, I wonder what in your life is not the way it should be. There is an accusatory tone. Yeah, I just think about even in our society how there have been times where different groups have experienced, you know, like some tragedy where the earthquake in Haiti and mm. it's like, oh, it's because of voodoo or AIDS. And it's mm. like, oh, this is a mm. you know, plague. Judgment. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like these interpretations just often make you mm-hmm. feel like, well, mm-hmm. did you get an email that I didn't get from God about <laughs> yeah. what was yeah. causing this? There is a way in which I can come to a quick conclusion when somebody who I perceive as being in the wrong has bad things happen to them. Mm. I'm kind of like, Yeah. You deserve that. You know, that yeah. kind of a thing, which yeah. is a different variation, but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And what's interesting is that we obviously know that all sickness, tragedy, pain, struggle, all of it is ultimately because of sin. But that doesn't mean it's because of a particular sin yeah. in that particular person's life. Yeah, it's a fallen world we the live in. The consequences of the fall mm-hmm. are all around us. And we have to be careful what we do with that because it's easy to go accusatory. It's easy to, to say, well, yeah, it's, you deserve this because of X. Mm-hmm. When maybe it's not because of X, it's because of A through Z. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the whole alphabet of consequences that came about because of our first parent's sin. I asked you a question, have you ever had anybody say that to you? How would you feel if Jesus said that to you? (laughs) Because that's kind of what happens in our final look at John chapter 5. So, Elisa, picking up with verse 8 and read all the way through to verse 17. Then Jesus said to him, this is the man we've been looking at, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man, he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. On the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Did you hear the little words in there that kind of had a little yeah. hint of that accusatory <laughs> stuff? Yeah. I hear Jesus say that and I say, what are you saying? Yeah, <laughs> It's not the stop sinning that bothers me so much, but it's that or something worse may happen to you. But both of them are yeah. troubling. And if I'm the guy, I'm thinking, what could be worse than 38 <laughs> years as an invalid? I mean, yeah. what could be worse than that? But Jesus doesn't say you sinned before. That's why you had this issue no. for 38 years. Okay. What I see there is when we make really bad decisions and when we hurt others or pursue things that are self-destructive, something really bad could 
happen yeah. to us. I think maybe we're reading into it if we th- see it as causal, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I see here is just like, you make some bad decisions, okay. you're going to probably pay those consequences. So it could be going back to the generic sinful, broken world we live in. Bad decisions lead to pain. I hear what you're saying, Daniel, and you make a really valid point. I just would also say that there is a reality in which you can be doing, to the best of your ability, everything right, and Mm -hmm. still bad things happen to you. There are all kinds of examples of that that we could throw on the table. But to your point, if we make bad decisions, we're putting ourselves more in jeopardy. We're more vulnerable Mm -hmm. to those bad consequences because of the choices that we've made. Jesus is making a connection between sinning and really bad stuff. which consequences in your life that are sometimes linked. And I mean, and there is this tension that exists on the one end between being like Job's friends who wrongly accuse him because of his suffering, but also the proverbial insights of wisdom that says you know the principle of you reap what you sow yeah and i think those are sometimes intention sometimes you can actually see that these are the consequences someone who speaks harshly to people maybe are violent and you're like you know if you keep living like this you live by the sword you're going to die by the sword but that i don't know still kind of can brush up against the fact that that's not always the case that sometimes circumstances happen and so we got to be careful with how we think about sometimes that causal link yeah do you think it has any significance that jesus later found him at the temple and said this to him. You know, this may be the first time in 38 years this guy's been able to go to temple uh-huh. because I think, Rasul, you talked about it. If he's been here for 38 years, mm-hmm. he's probably a mess. Yeah. It doesn't say that he's been there for 38 years. It says he has this condition for right. 38 right. years. But for however long he's been there at the pool of Bethesda, when he goes into the temple, hmm. there has to be this almost sense of exhilaration. Finally, after all these years, I get to do what everybody else gets to do. Mm-hmm. I get to go into the temple. And then Jesus finds him and kind of rocks his world a little bit. Why didn't Jesus say, stop sinning when he said, pick up your mat and walk? Why is oh, he man. saying it to him in the temple? I actually kind of got excited when I oh, think about okay. this. Because, <laughs> Bill, you were asking this before, and it's just like, this format is very different than when the person, you know, who he says, if mm-hmm. I can make your son well, and he says, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. And we have that clear point yeah, of yeah. expression of yeah. faith, and then it happens. Yeah. And in this context, he doesn't do it that way. It makes me wonder if he knew this person's heart between the despair, between the brokenness, between the sin, mm-hmm. actually that the best way to reach him was to heal him first and then engage with the conversation. (laughs) And I think about that, how that oftentimes works in our lives, where there's somebody Mm -hmm. who is like, once God delivers from the thing, then they're actually freed up to hear with different ears about his salvation. So, you know, it makes me just wonder in that scenario, if he intentionally, Mm -hmm. you know, healed Mm -hmm. him first, and Mm -hmm. then it's like, all right, now let's have this spiritual conversation. That's so interesting. And and one other time when I read this, and I saw the stop sinning, and we've had this conversation about the despair in the man. Well, it's not sinful to despair. But unbelief pulls us away from God, you know, and he's been healed. And now it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the choice of change, was probably still pretty scary. Yeah. And, you know, the choice of unbelief would pull him away from God. And so maybe Jesus is saying, stop that line of thought, yeah. you know, come into this line. And once again, we need to just caution ourselves because sure. 
I mean, you know, know. (laughs) the text doesn't tell us, and it's okay to speculate, Mm -hmm. as long as we make sure we're clear that we're speculating about possibilities of what was going on, because the story is, in some ways, rich with detail, and in other ways, kind of a bare cupboard. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many layers to it that we aren't given that it puts us in a position where we do kind of speculate. Well, maybe you should net out, then, what is John 5 teaching, Bill? Just so we're clear about the main message. As we kind of wrap up these conversations, which for me have been very helpful, I've confessed that I struggle with this text, not because I don't believe it, not because I don't believe it's true, not because of the textual variant, just because I like to solve puzzles. And this has a lot of puzzles (laughs) in it that I don't have the capacity to solve. So it leaves me a tiny little bit frustrated. But I think the point of the story may be, again, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that compassion is more important than rules. And we see that echoed throughout the Gospels, don't we? And some of that comes back to two things, one that's in this text and one that's not. The one that's in this text is, remember, this pool is named Bethesda, which means house of mercy. Mm -hmm. Jesus is showing mercy to this guy by giving him a level of health he hasn't known in almost four decades. And I think about that and Almost any time I think of the word mercy, it takes me back to when Robert Gelinas, <laughs> your pastor, Elise, was here, and he had written a book called The Mercy Prayer, which is the most prayed prayer in the Bible. Lord, have mercy. He's had mercy on this guy. And in the book, The Mercy Prayer, Robert fashioned his own kind of mercy prayer, which I think mm. fits this guy pretty well. The prayer said, for those who sin and for those who suffer, for those who suffer because of sin, For those who sin to alleviate suffering, Lord, have mercy on us. I think it's a story about mercy and compassion being more important than rules and regulations. Yeah, this has been a helpful journey through this story in John chapter 5 in this episode to help us see that this is, and yet it isn't, a story about physical healing. There's more to it than that. Well, you're listening to Discover the Word and the conclusion of this series called By the Pool. Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry have been your study partners for this conversation. Now, Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And when you give a financial gift, your donation provides the fuel that's needed to help us accomplish that mission. You can give when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. Look for the Donate tab. That's up there at the top of the page. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.